Good morning. My name's Jamie, and I get to I get to share with you today. Um, I have to tell you that a, um, a couple months ago, I was reading ahead to see what I'd be teaching on today, and I read this passage, and I remember thinking, "Oh, I love this passage." Did anybody else feel that way? Thank you. I love it to see hands. This is audience participation. <laughs> um, I love it because I think it resonates with my soul. You know, I um, love it when we get to, in our studies, talk about the questions that say, well, now what does this look like in your life? And um, give me an example of how this scripture is playing out for you. Or, um, and for me, it actually is even so ingrained in me that it was what my career was. I had a career in the business world that was, and my title was implementation consultant. <laughs> I love implementation. I love talking about how we take something that is a really great vision, a strategy, a, maybe deep, deep truth like we've been studying in Ephesians, and then we get to say, okay, but how does that look like? How does that play out? I used to work with our CEO and then sales team who, as you might imagine, would dream really big and sell really amazing solutions that I would sit in the room going, hmm, how is that actually going to (laughs) work? I often thought, oh, man, that's going to be a challenging one. And so we would put our heads together to think about how it might actually play out. I get to do this now. Mary Ann is a visionary, and she and I get to partner together, and we have so much fun as she dreams up some amazing things, and together we, we can be quite a team. And then I start to go, hmm, so but what do we have to do to get there? <laughs> and so um, I love implementation, and today in our passage, I feel like Paul is shifting, and he's, maybe he's our implementation consultant today. <laughs> he's going to talk to us about how we take what we've learned in the first three chapters around all the rich, deep spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ And then what we learned last week at the beginning of chapter 4, which is about just the oneness, the unity of faith that we have. In fact, I want us to remind ourselves what the the last few uh, verses that we looked at last week, just to remind ourselves what we stand on as we now turn our attention into today's passage. So it'll go on the screen. Um, We'll look at Ephesians 4, chapter, um, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Remember how excited we were about that? (laughs) That is the truth we stand on. Now, Paul's tone changes a bit. Now, he says, but, and we know that that means things are shifting. Now, he's going to talk not about the unity, but about but about our diversity. He's going to go from addressing all of us to each one of us, from talking about what we all have in common in verse 6 to what we have um, in diversity, our differences. And the way I think that he's talking to us about this is with our outline today. It's the gift, we're going to talk about the gift, and then the goal. The gift in chapter, or verses 7 through 11, and the goal, verses 12 through 16. And I believe that today we are going to get to learn that God's plan is to use spiritually gifted believers to build up the body of Christ to maturity. He's going to use spiritually gifted believers to build up the body of Christ. And we got to study this in our lessons um, this whole week. So today we consider that he's given each one of us his grace gift. Let's go ahead and just look at our verse for today. Um, Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So it's important that we remember that everything we look at today is founded on the reigning truth that Jesus has unified all believers to oneness. But now we'll look at this gift that he's given to each one of us as unique individuals, unique gifts and calling. Last week, Marianne said that unity is not the same as uniformity. So today we're going to talk about the non-uniformity piece. So I do have to say that this passage we're looking at today is big. It, your lessons were long. <laughs> You'll have really rich discussion here today. We're going to fly over it uh, at a 30,000-foot view. And each verse, as I dug into it, I thought, oh, this, I, we could talk about just this for a long time. And so do that. Go back and think about each of these verses and how they pertain to you um, because they really are practical wisdom from Paul. But in, in, by way of looking at the gift, I, I saw in these verses that there um, were several ways that we might explore the nature of the gift. So several things that we can learn from this passage, four aspects maybe. The first is it is unmerited. The verse starts out, but grace was given to each one of us. So throughout these few verses, we see the words grace, given, gift, gave, we as the receivers can be sure we did nothing to deserve these, right? <laughs> Isn't that what we kept thinking when we were studying, when, as we've been studying all year in Ephesians? There's nothing we could do to, dis- to deserve the inheritance that is ours. So therefore, we begin this passage understanding that anything we have to offer is because of his grace, and it should move us to respond in humility and gratitude. Um, the next aspect that I, we see in verse 7 is that it's all-inclusive. It says, to each one of us. So, but grace was given to each one of us. There are no qualifiers here, no parameters, no exceptions. Each one of us. And later in verse 12, it um, even says, to all the saints. Let me ask, do you know what saints means? Does anybody feel like a saint? Nobody raises their hand. Okay, well, let's set the record straight here, okay? Okay. <laughs> Do you know that saint, saint means holy, sacred, set apart? But do those words set, ring a bell for you? They should, because the spiritual blessings that are ours, the moment we believe in Christ, holy and blameless, adopted, forgiven, revealed plans, appointed, the revelation of gospel truth, marked and sealed by the Spirit, these are our, our spiritual blessings that we studied in verses one or chapters 1 through 3. So think about that, ladies. You are set apart. You are a saint. Okay, I know that. That might, that might be hard for you to say out loud. But, um, but as we read these verses, consider that you f- can see yourself in this. You, this is who he's talking about when he says, to each one of us, grace has been given. Um, going on in verse 7, we see our next, the next aspect or na- of the nature of the gift. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's Christ-centered. This gift was all centered on Christ. It reminds us that it was Christ who gave. He's the one who gave his life for the sins of all. He's the great giver of life. You know, it's interesting to note that then, um, as we'll look at in more detail in just a minute, the parentheses, the um, the 
two passage or two scriptures that are in parentheses here actually indicate that those were not in the very original text, but they really spotlight um, it and, and add emphasis to the nature of the gift that we're talking about here, the fact that it was Christ who gave. And think about the depths to which he gave. He ascended, but that means he also descended to the to the earth. <laughs> And then he ascended again. Think about the sacrifice and the gift that we've studied. It is he that is to be glorified, not the gift and not the recipient of the gift. I think that's really important as we think about the gift. Then we look at verse 8, and it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And again, this attention is drawn to Christ, but in this point, it's t- it draws our attention to the resurrection power. So when we talk about ascend- the ascension of Christ, we, we're re- reminded of the power that he displayed when he was resurrected, that God displayed in Christ as he was resurrected. It reminds us what we studied back in Ephesians 1.19, where it said, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? This is that power. It's interesting. When I taught in the fall, that's the passage I taught on. And so I think God has something to teach me about power. (laughs) And the fact that this is resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from the grave, is the power that then he gave he gave these gifts to men. And as we see, the next aspect of, our, of the gift is the redemptive plan for creation. So it says, and he gave gifts to men. So putting it all together, verse 8 says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So th- this has been blowing my mind all week, ladies. <laughs> he, as Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. Simultaneously, that resurrection power in the same moment God gave gifts to men, to us, to women, let's say, here in this moment, he gave gifts. That, it's that power that he said, this is my plan. This is the plan I have. As I depart, I'm giving my Holy Spirit, we know, from the gospel story, from the truth of the gospel, and that's the plan, is that the, the, the gifts and the power are going to men. So that, not only this, but our passage says, so that he, that he might fill all things. He ascended and gave gifts to men so that all things might be filled, meaning that's his plan for the redemption of his beloved creation. We're the plan. I, used to, I had a friend whose husband always said when she would want to talk about their future, and they'd talk about his, his work, and he wasn't very excited about the work he was doing, he would say, oh, no, you're the plan. <laughs> you're the plan. And she'd think, no, 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 I don't want to be the plan. we got to be the plan together. Ladies, we're the plan. The church, as followers of Christ, we're the plan. And this is, this is a big deal. This is an important gift that we've been given. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a spiritual gift. Perhaps more than one, probably, in a room like this. It's a gift that you didn't earn or master. Therefore, you can't boast in it, we know. It's, like a skill. it's not like a skill or a talent that you've developed. It's a powerful gift. So... Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his masterpiece, his workmanship. So we are made in his image, and then he prepared in advance that we would then be his workmanship in creation. So before I ask you 
one particular question, I, I must ask, have you accepted Christ as your Savior in a room like this? I, I don't know where everyone is. And that's an important step in the process of identifying your spiritual gifts. And so we want to talk to you. Please um, don't delay if that is a step you need to take. But if you do know Christ, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and you've been given a powerful gift. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you, do you believe that you have, that you're gifted? Anybody? Yes? No? <laughs> um, you've been, this is an important step along the journey of, of discovering. And if you aren't sure, if this is an uncomfortable topic for you, then keep paying attention because we're going we're gonna to take a look now at what are these gifts that Paul is talking to us about. And maybe we'll help you in your process of discovering right now where you're gifted. So you might be asking, well, what are the gifts? Well, we got to look at a few this week. Paul notes several in our passage, but it's, um, it's important that, to note that the, this, the four he notes here are not all of them. Um, in fact, I'll also share about a few others that are noted throughout the New Testament. And some commentators would contend that, the, that this list is not in, all-encompassing as well. So um, the term spiritual gift has been defined as a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. Should I say that again? Spiritual gift, a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. So let's take a look. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So Paul highlights here what many scholars have termed the building gifts. And you'll see why in a minute. So first, apostles. There's actually several uses of this word throughout the Bible. The verb, when it's in verb send, it means to send. And so this, in this sense, all Christians can be considered, all Christians are sent to share the good, word, the good news of Jesus. Um, however, in this text, Paul is referring to the apostles of Christ, a very small and unique group consisting of the twelve, Paul, James the Lord's brothers, and possibly one or two others. They were personally chosen and authorized by Jesus and had to be eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. So in this sense of the word, as Paul is using it here, there are no apostles today, which I think is interesting. They were actually founding or building members of the church. So similarly, prophets, uh, there were several uses of this word in the Bible as well, but again, in this text, Paul is referring to a person who stood in the council of God, who even heard, who heard and even saw his word and who, in consequence, spoke from the mouth of the Lord and spoke faithfully. So, again, in this sense of the word, there are no prophets today. They were founding. Evangelists. So the next one is evangelists. And this one's different for us. And we, we got to talk about a very important evangelist just last week. The term evangelize, actually the verb to evangelize is used throughout the New Testament. And it's used to, bear, when, to call Christians to bear witness to the reality of Christ. However, the term evangelist as, an, as a noun was used only three times. So it, Paul is actually calling out a, a special calling, an evangelist, who probably refers to some, those that, who are called and equipped in evangelistic ministry, some sort of mass evangelism, which, as we know, thankfully, we still have evangelists today. Billy Graham, we all speak of um, Luis Palau is one from Portland here, and others. I'm sure you know, I may not, their names aren't coming to me right now, but we praise God that there are evangelists 
and he's raising up new, and we can pray for more for, as some pass, pass on. Um, and then the fourth uh, gifting that Paul teaches about is shepherds or pastors and teachers. So it's widely agreed that these two titles are actually one role or calling, and so we'll call them the teaching pastors. Um, the, the explanation of this is that shepherds or pastors are called to tend the flock, and they do so by feeding it God's word, which is what we do here. That's what we get to gather and do, and we get to press into God's word and be, teach, be taught um, on Sunday mornings and throughout the week and here at the river. Um, but it's interesting that every pastor should likely be a teacher. However, not every teacher is a pastor, right? Some are professors, some are lay, like me, um, like your teaching team. Um, some are it, many roles where God's word is opened. Those people may not always be pastors. Does that make sense? All of these spiritual gifts relate in some way to teaching. Do you see that? That's why they're the building gifts. The core foundation is God's word. The feeding, of the, the feeding of the flock is delivering God's word, teaching God's word. They are foundational. And since the beginning of the church, it's been done through these people that you see listed on the screen. Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teaching pastors. Now, as I mentioned earlier, in other places in the New Testament, other spiritual gifts are named, and they're often called the maintenance gifts. So there's a table up here which you probably cannot see. I apologize. I didn't know how to do it so that you could see it. I'm happy to share it with you at a, at a later date. But I will just call out the, the maintenance gifts that are in addition to those we've already spoken of. They might be administration or leading, exhortation, giving, service, discernment, faith, healing, mercy, knowledge, miracles, tongues and interpretation, wisdom, these are, the way that this table is laid out actually notes the scripture reference and then what uh, gifts are noted there. So, you know, um, this topic of spiritual gifts is one that has been widely written about. There are probably online assessments. Many of you are probably very familiar with spiritual gifts. Some, may, some of you may have spent a lot of time discovering your spiritual gifts. Um, I think it's important that we all take a moment to think about this. We need to acknowledge that we are gifted with this important gift from the Holy, of the Holy Spirit and that, again, we are God's workmanship. And so if you are having a hard time imagining that you have spiritual gifts to offer, maybe you want to read Ephesians 2.10. Um, I'll read it again for us, but put your own name in there um, or say I. So Ephesians 2.10 says, we, or maybe I, am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. So this is a, a great gift that we have. If you don't know where you are gifted, or maybe it's been a while, maybe you are burned out on using your spiritual gifts and you need a refresher. <laughs> um, many of you, I'm sure, have been, been at this and serving in the church for many, many years. But I would encourage you to pray and ask the Lord to show you. He made you. He knows exactly how he made you and with what gifts and what experiences that, that have prepared you for what he has called you, for the workman, for his good work that he's created you to um, walk forward into. And if you're not sure where to get started, I have a few ideas. 
for you. <laughs> um, but the, the very first is just to try something out. If, if you have not stepped out to try something and this is, some, this is a new concept or a, or a new area for you, uh, the next time you hear of a need in the church, whether it's here at River West or your own um, church body, um, maybe you want to pray about stepping out in faith to help meet that need. You know, um, many years ago, my husband and I began helping in children's ministry before we ever had kids because they needed someone. They always need someone, right? And um, it's actually turned into a really great blessing in our lives because now we know the families of the kids that our, our kids are um, friends with in children's ministry. And so try something. Maybe in the process you'll discover, hey, does this bring me joy? Do I like the people I'm serving with? Am I, am I now building relationships with people that I'm serving alongside? Um, does it resonate with you? Maybe play to your strengths. Another avenue for helping discover your gifts might be to ask those around you. Ask your friends. Ask your family. Like, what do you, Sometimes other people can see giftings in us that we can't see ourselves. And so they may be able to help direct you and say, hey, I see that you, you really tend to be drawn to this particular type of activity. Maybe there's a way for you to use that. Um, oftentimes, insight and encouragement from others in the body might be just the affirmation that you need to, to try something out. But above all, just be open. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord as you seek him um, where he might have gifted you and where he might be calling you. These are God-given, Holy Spirit-enabled gifts meant for his glory and the furthering of his kingdom. So as believers, it's just our great joy to discover these gifts in ourselves, to see the ways he's so uniquely equipped us. Each of us, it's interesting to look where, stand where I am and look out along all of your faces and to see how many of you who I've seen serving in the church body. And, it, and you are gifted in ways that I am not. Lisa, as you lead worship, I could never imagine <laughs> doing that. Brenton and Adam back there can do things and figure out this technology that I can't even imagine. And to imagine how uniquely equipped God made them that way on purpose. It's not an accident. And so um, it's a great gift to discover how you're uniquely created. And so the truth that we can, we can rest on and stand on is that every Christ follower is being equipped with God-given, Holy Spirit-enabled gifts. And we can step out in faith on that. Um, for me, it's interesting. I, I did, wasn't sure I was going to share this story, but I really feel like the Lord wants me to. So I... Um, my journey to getting to be the one standing right here <laughs> is, is just not how you might have expected. Um, I, for, up until six years ago, had led a lot of Bible studies. I, um, like I said, I was an implementation consultant. I led things. I, I was a very um, comfortable public speaking and facilitating groups and along that lines in the business world. And then I led Bible studies. And here at River West, I had the privilege of leading Bible studies. And so when Mary Ann began in a volunteer role with the River six years ago, I came alongside her and I led some groups and she and I partnered together. And at the same time, she was launching another Bible study in the evenings and teaching at that. So she's teaching two Bible studies every week. And for, I'm sure it was because she had another commitment 
on a certain Tuesday that she needed help. I'm sure she wasn't taking a break. <laughs> but I remember thinking, okay, if she asked me if maybe I could stand in and teach one day. And I remember thinking, because I want to give her a break, she needs help, I'll help her. That was my motivator. I did not think, oh, I'm gifted as a teacher. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Certainly, it was quite the opposite. Um, in fact, the notion of teaching God's word was a completely different reality, a completely different endeavor for me than what I'd ever done before. And it was very intimidating because teaching God's word is really important. And I didn't have any training in that. I was certainly not equipped. And I had a lot to learn. And any number of y'all sitting out here probably are well more equipped than I am. And so I remember thinking, well, here's my humble offering. I'll do it. I'll take the date. Here I go. And as the day got closer, I had all sorts of thoughts like, what am I trying to prove? <laughs> Who do I think I am? And, um, but I just stepped forward. And God is the faithful one. He is the one who gave me a message that day six years ago. I don't remember it, but there was something said that day. And, <laughs> um, and since then, each time I have put a date on my calendar and read a passage and done a lesson and prepared, he has faithfully shown up. And what I've learned along the way is not that I think I have anything to offer. It's truly that he is faithful and he has is birthing and growing and doing a work in me because he made me this way and he wants to use me and boy what better use of whatever natural affinity I might have had to standing in front of people I wasn't afraid of it well why not let him use it and so he you know even today to stand up and say I have the gift of teaching feels very funny to me but I can say that in a very humble um, position, just grateful for what the Lord's done, he's giving me this great blessing. And so that is the true, that is true of you. As I look out on this room, I know that many of you could say the same thing about the ways that you're serving and the ways that you've been called and equipped. And it's not because we think we've got something to offer. It's because God is great. And he's got this resurrection power that he decided to give to each one of us. So that is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Um, and so I just encourage you, if you are struggling with this truth, remember our truth. It's up there on the screen. Every Christ follower has been equipped with a God-given, Holy Spirit-enabled spiritual gift or gifts. And I want to challenge you. Is, do you know that you've been given spiritual gifts? Or are you finding reasons to disqualify yourself? Maybe you can't imagine that you've been given these gifts. Are you finding reasons that it just doesn't work for you to use your gifts? I don't know, and only, only you and the Lord know. But I will encourage you to keep listening. Whether or not you have, think you have gifts, um, God wants to do a work. And discovering your gifts is an important step in the journey towards the goal, which is what we'll talk about next. The goal. And so that is verses 12 through 16. Um, so now we know, without a doubt, that we've been given spiritual gifts. And stack that on top of all the spiritual blessings, the fact that we are heirs, daughters of the king. We have these spiritual gifts that are given to us without having done anything to deserve them. The ultimate question then becomes, did God give us such grace and favor so that we could just sit back and be favored? And hang out with a lot of other favored people? 
I, I mean, I don't know. Um, but in our lessons this week, the very first meditation, I'm going to actually read it. It was by Oswald Chambers, who if you know me knows that, I mean, I'm a fan. Um, so I knew that this lesson was for me to teach because it started with Oswald Chambers. Um, but the meditation, I'm just going to read it. If you need to read along, it's on page 155. Or if you want to close your eyes and listen, I invite you to do that as well. Um, it says, The church ceases to be spiritual when it becomes self-seeking, only interested in the development of its own organization. The reconciliation of the human race according to his plan means realizing him not only in our lives individually, but also in our lives collectively. Jesus Christ sent apostles and teachers for this very purpose, that the corporate person of Christ and his church made up of many members might be brought into being and made known. We are not here to develop a spiritual life of our own or to enjoy a quiet spiritual retreat. We are here to have the full realization of Jesus Christ for the purpose of building up his body. Am I building up the body of Christ or am I only concerned about my own personal development? So I don't think Oswald West thought we were supposed to just sit back and be favored, right? (laughs) Um, You know, I've been thinking since last week uh, when Marianne got us thinking about Billy Graham and he's been in the news um, and we got to watch a tribute. I went home and sat down with my girls and we watched several more tributes because I want them to know this name. I want them to know Billy Graham. And so, you know, as I watched these tributes and was just thinking about his life, the fact that 215 million individuals heard him preach live, can you believe that? And different statistics, but that maybe 3 million people gave their lives to Christ, probably more, um, because of that effort. I could not get out of my mind the picture of the throngs of people flooding the stage or the field in response to the message he was giving about Jesus. And I couldn't help but think, maybe because I was thinking about today, how many people it took to make that happen. Can you imagine the number of people? I mean, the people had to set up those stadiums or the tents And then the people who had to come out in droves from the local churches to be trained and equipped to know what to do when thousands of people rushed the stage to respond to the call. There had to be counselors trained to receive them and say, here's the message and here's what you're choosing, here's, and, and to help them pray the prayer. And, and then there had to be people in place that after the next day, those people could be plugged in to some sort of community. Think of the number of people. Um, Without the body of Christ at work beforehand, during, and after, I, I imagine that a Billy Graham crusade might have just been like a celebrity event, you know, where people are excited and they're really excited, they're really emotional, there's a lot of emotion, and then um, they don't want it to be over because when it's over, then they just go back to life like normal. And um, instead, the Billy Graham crusade and the many people um, that had an experience there They heard the gospel at a crusade, and their lives were forever changed. And I contend that these the churches of in each of those cities were operating like Paul is admonishing us to to operate today, um, as he's explaining in this passage. So let's look at that. Verse twelve. 
says, again, um, the reminder is that he just got done saying he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teaching pastors. And verse 12 now says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we see here, equipping the saints, which is all believers, for the work of the ministry. I think about this as like the outward ministry, maybe the fulfilling of the Great Commission, Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But then there's the building up of the body of Christ, which is the inward ministry, which is maturity, which is what we're talking about here. So the cycle that I picture of the church is never staying the same, always moving forward, equipping and building. Work of the ministry is fulfilling the Great Commission, but then as people are coming in to the body, they're being built up. They're being received by those that have been equipped before them, and then they're being built up, and they're being prepared to receive new believers all the the while so so that this new believer finds fellowship and experiences truth and love unlike anywhere else in the world. That is a beautiful equipping and building of the body of Christ However, in this sentence, um, it goes on, Paul is making a somewhat shocking statement about the ultimate goal of the body of Christ. While the work of the ministry is the Great Commission, sharing the good news of Jesus is not the ultimate goal that we see noted here. His ultimate goal for the body of Christ is maturity. Verse 13 highlights this this truth. It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. God's desire for each Christian is that we attain the fullness of Christ. He desires that we be grown up, responsible, well-adjusted, completely Christ-like human beings, just as we were intended to be. So, Hang with me if you're thinking, oh no, she, she, this is blasphemy. Um, it all comes around, I promise. <laughs> His goal is maturity. The goal of the church is maturity. So how do we mature? We look back at verse 12. Build it, we build up the body. So he goes on to describe what this looks like in detail in these next few verses. His redemptive plan is through the church, through the body of Christ, and it's God's grace to us. He's given us the body of Christ to do this. And we'll see that it's not possible to mature outside of the body of Christ. It's not possible to mature in isolation. Consider a woman that meets, meets Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade. If she can't plug into a body somewhere, where might she have been today? Or maybe think about yourself. If you weren't part of the body of Christ, where might you be? Our next verse actually paints a kind of a haunting picture of where we might be. Verse 14 says that, So we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, up until now, Paul's approach has been so positive. (laughs) Um, so encouraging, exciting about being heirs and blessings. And now we see a sliver of the dark side called out. The reality of what we were maybe before accepting Christ or maybe after accepting Christ, but when we weren't pursuing maturity or even what might await us if we don't pursue maturity individually and as a church. So this right here is a picture of spiritual immaturity, what you see on the screen Like children, immature Christians are flighty, indecisive, 
quick to jump from one religious fad or popular author instead of pursuing biblical truth. Like we do here, we have such a great privilege pursuing biblical truth to stand on. Often immature Christians are unreliable and they waver in dependability and commitments as they engage or eventually disengage from the body of Christ. They also often tend to be not very discerning or aware of the very real dangers lurking and and attempting to draw them away from Christ. Boy, I don't want that. I don't want to be tossed to and fro. I'm guessing you don't either. It's why you're here, right? Um, But I think probably many of us have had those times in our journey, feeling tossed to and fro. Many of us know people who we have in our life right now who we can experience as we watch on, as they pursue um, something other than biblical truth, let's just say. And it's heartbreaking. And and the truth is, um, as I've watched family and friends kind of opt out of the body of Christ, it doesn't happen, as someone said this morning, we don't go from A to Z opting out. It's small little decisions along the way, right, where we make other decisions, we make decisions to follow a path that isn't completely um, focused on Christ or God's word. It's one small choice at a time. And then all of a sudden, if not all of a sudden, um, but at some point, they're being tossed to and fro. Um, it makes me think of Proverbs 14, 12 that says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So, There's no way for me to know the complexities in the lives of these people I have in my heart and mind or that you have in your heart and mind, but I know confidently that that is not God's best for his beloved children. His best is that we not remain immature, but that we pursue maturity. Thankfully, Paul outlines a prescription for maturity for us in our next several verses so that we can avoid that shifting life experience by pressing into and engaging with the body of Christ. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's more positive, isn't it? Um, God's best for us, for us is that we don't remain children, just like we aim our own children towards maturity. Like I was thinking this morning, as we have an infant and we have all these checkpoints where we're checking to make sure that they're not failing to thrive, think about that term, failing to thrive. If maturity is not happening, then the result is failing to thrive. So that's us in the body. That's us individually and as a body. So... He starts off by saying um, his best is that we speak the truth in love. It's interesting, and that phrase is often, in in the original Greek, it's it's one word, and so we say truthing in love is how I've read a lot of commentators talk about it. Truthing in love, which I think is great. It's an action. Um, So we start with truthing in love is part of Paul's um, admonishing to us about maturity. Speaking the truth in love, living the truth in love, the truth being the gospel of Jesus Christ, biblical truth that we study here, that we study here at River West, that if you don't go to River West, I'm sure, hopefully you're plugged into a church where the truth is grounded on Jesus in in the God's word. Um, Love being the attitude with which each believer operates in their real life. 
and doing this to grow up into Christ, the head of the church. So we were thinking this morning about how speaking the truth in love, when I think about this phrase, what comes to mind is that if I didn't love someone, well, then I wouldn't engage in an uncomfortable conversation with them. If I, if I, it would be much easier when, when someone is going down their path and they are making choices and I can see, um, if I, the unloving thing to do would just say, no, you do your thing. You go for it. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. It actually looks like love when I press into that difficult conversation to share the truth and speak the truth in love. I think about with my kids. It sure would be easier to just not engage the fit, you know, to just go, whatever, go to your room. I don't want to deal with it, which happens sometimes. (laughs) Um, It's a lot harder to have to press in there and say, boy, what I see is this, this, and this, and that's not God's best, or that's not the truth, or what you just said to me is not really right. Um, That takes more work, but it's because I love them I do that. How many times have I said, I only have to spank you because I love you. I love you so much because, that I don't want to let you keep acting this way, you know? <laughs> it's harder that way. So a question you might ask yourself is, am I living a life of sincere Christian love? Am I pressing into those difficult conversations when, when God's asking me to? Am I exhibiting Christ-like acceptance or patience or forgiveness amidst even frustrating moments and brokenness of the world around me? If you can answer yes, not that you're perfect, okay, we're not talking perfection, then you're, but yes, you're maturing. So the next aspect of, of Paul's maturity admonishment is joining with the whole body. This is when the believer seeks out and accepts the ministry of other Christians in our lives and vice versa. And in other words, we join our lives with other believers. Immature believers prefer to operate independently, and mature Christians seek out deep and meaningful fellowship with others, pressing into relationships, those that are easy and those that may be difficult. Now, ladies, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where we know this is the body of Christ is made up of imperfect, just, imperfect people just like me. Each of us have things that maybe rub another person the wrong way. Um, oftentimes, it's it's really easy and fun. Other times it's difficult. There's usually differences in opinion over just about every event or the ways we use the building or, or maybe expectations not being met about certain aspects of the ministry. But we are to look to Jesus to fulfill our needs, not each other. It's our, just like our families at home, our church body is a place where we get to press in It's as we rub against each other. We work side by side that, that God refines us. Seeking not my own desires, but the good of others. Romans 12, 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of others. So as we press in, maturity results. So a question I would ask is, um, that you might ask yourself, actually, is am I joining in and pursuing deep and meaningful relationships within the church body? If not, why? If so, how's it going? (laughs) Even asking these questions are a step towards maturity. (laughs) Even actually considering them is a step in the right direction. So the next thing we'll look at is exercising your spiritual gifts. Uh, The next verse says, Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. This is talking about 
exercising our spiritual gifts within the body. So the way we press in and, and join in the body is we step out in faith and use our giftings. Remember, everyone has one. <laughs> we all have these gifts. And you've been uniquely equipped. And your gift is needed in the church body. It's needed. Just like when someone's knee is not working right and you need a replacement, we are only as strong. Marianne, what do you say? We're only as small as our weakest joint. <laughs> so we miss you if you're not participating. And you're missing out on great blessing if you're not participating. So as, um, at, let's see, you get to be a part, as you engage with your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, you get to be a part of God's redemptive plan for his creation. So earlier I asked you if you knew what your spiritual gifts are. The natural next question is, are you using them within your church body? And then this passage ends talking about Christ-like love, which is the key to spiritual maturity. It's a supernatural transforming work in our lives. So as we pursue Christ-likeness, the Holy Spirit produces love that's beyond mere human love. It's a bonding agent in relationships, specifically within the church. As we decide to press into the building of the body of Christ by choosing to put on love rather than annoyance or judgment or disappointment, we gradually find ourselves maturing and becoming more like Christ. So are you deciding to put on love as you engage in the body of Christ? These actions all stack up to maturity. And that's the truth that I, that I want to call out is that God's ultimate goal for the body of Christ is maturity. It's Christ-likeness. And interestingly enough, we then find ourselves back in that cycle I was referring to earlier, where we begin, uh, where we began with the other goal of the church, which is the Great Commission: new believers. As each believer becomes more like Christ and presses into the body of Christ, the body of Christ is built up. Non-believers are attracted. So there's several things that happen. We mature, and therefore we are more in a position to go out into the world to share Christ's love with others. Our lives are transformed. We become more patient supernaturally. We become more forgiving, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ's work in us. We become more Christ-like, and we have more to share. We have, we're prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. But also the body is built up, and so the ways that we can operate together, we're stronger and, and then we become a place where people out in our world, where there is not unity, unless it's founded on, on the reality of God's word in Christ, um, that's attractive. So as the body of Christ is built up, then the Great Commission is fulfilled. And so it really is an ongoing, forward-moving cycle. And let me just say, I have been seeing this, my, my awareness has been heightened in these last several weeks as to how this is happening all around us, right here in this community and amongst believers around our, our city. It's a beautiful thing to see how people, when they step out to use their gifts, how it meets unique needs in the community. Just this last week, we had our staff meeting, and Pastor Adams started off by saying, hey, can you share how, God, how you've been seeing God at work? In, in the church. And 
one by one, staff and pastors shared some awesome stories about ways that you would maybe never know, about people who've been raised up onto the communion team, who show up every week to prepare communion for us. And these people have to be detailed. Some of you may be on this team, where you're pouring juice in tiny little cups. I mean, many of them. (laughs) That's important. It doesn't happen. Communion every week doesn't happen unless someone gets excited about that. Um, I mentioned our worship team and our tech team. And there is a whole team of people who prepare food for all of our gatherings that create a space for people to be welcomed. There is a gentleman that works in kids' ministry who I've heard his story before that um, years ago decided that his wife likes to sleep in on Sunday morning, so he comes to the 9 a.m. service and he teaches Sunday school every week. And then he comes when his wife comes to the 11 service and they, and they go to worship together. But just last week, I saw him at the baptism service, and he may have been there for other people, but several of his students, former students, were being baptized. And I just think that's so amazing. He was a part of that. So you can see how um, many of you could think about examples in your own life or examples that you see around you. God uniquely equips each of us to see different needs and then to be uniquely equipped to meet those needs. And it is our great blessing to step out and participate in that. And as we do, we become more like Christ. So it's a full circle experience. God is working out his redemptive plan for creation through the body of Christ as each member exercises spiritual gifts and matures in Christ-likeness. And that is the truth that I have for you today. It is his plan that's working out, and we just get to be a part of it in obedience. Um, to close, I just wanted to read Romans 12, 3 through 8, another of Paul's letters. He's talking about the same thing here, but in a little different voice. But I'll just read it for us. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, we just praise you. Your plan is so perfect, and you choose to include us in it. You have given us such a grace um, by giving us the body. And Lord, it just causes us to rejoice. And so we just give you everything that we are, everything you created us to be. And Lord, I just pray that we would be good stewards of what you've given us as we build up the body of Christ. In your name, amen.